Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How you doing, Alan? Okay. Alan, would you introduce our guest, please? Oh, oh very quickly. Jumped right into it. Um, so Supposedly, very, that's good podcasting. So, <laughs> I'm very privileged to introduce Benjamin Katz, who is a co-founder of the organization Choval, Education and Tolerance. It's the only organization geared towards training religious organizations in LGBTQ plus competence that is also endorsed by the Ministry of Education. Pre-corona, Choval ran around 50 sessions per year and has since been moving its content online for a more global reach. Ben is also a psychologist and incoming postdoctoral researcher at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. So Welcome, Ben. Dr. Katz. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, well uh, not doctor just yet. <laughs> Once I get that, I'll be incoming postdoc. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. Well, yeah. well, can we start off with you just describing what your organization does a little more fully than in the brief uh, intro? Yeah, sure. Uh, Choval is an organization uh, which has really been around as a project uh, for about 10 years or so. Uh, we've recently already gone through the bureaucratic processes to be an officially registered organization uh, with the State of Israel. Uh, and pretty much our general approach is that there is the, you know, more... Uh, secular LGBTQ plus world, uh, which really has a lot of uh, useful and valuable information in it uh, in terms of, you know, what is the lifestyle of people like that? Uh, what kind of questions are they dealing with? Uh, but then on the other hand, you have within the more religious and usually more conservative communities, uh, people who just don't have access uh, to a lot of that information, a lot of that knowledge, and to be frank, a lot of that wisdom. Uh, which is kind of falling on deaf ears a lot of times because it's not told in a way uh, which is culturally competent for the conversation. Uh, so kind of what we do is uh, we take people who themselves are from the religious community, the Jewish religious community. Uh, they go through a seminar with us in order to build their own personal story, learn how to pass it forward. Uh, and then we travel all around the country. We've got a core group of about uh, 70 volunteers or so. Uh, where they'll go to communities, schools, mental health clinics, uh, tell their story, kind of open up a dialogue about it. And then, you know, if the community is interested for in further, uh, more formal trainings, uh, then we provide that afterwards. So I would say, you know, we go community by community, institution mm -hmm. by institution, start by opening up the dialogue, and then if and when they're interested, see what kind of further resources we could take things from there. So it sounds like what you're describing is the way you open the dialogue is by having an individual tell their personal story. Yeah. Actually, the way that we always do it, we make sure that we send two people, uh, usually a man and a woman. Uh, and the reason for that being that um, a lot of times, especially when you have a problem of representation and, you know, now there's more and more uh, queer Orthodox voices out there. But when Choval started, that really wasn't a thing. Uh, and so we made sure that any place that we would go to, uh, there would be more than one voice. The idea being this is not a monolithic community of the queer religious community to the straight religious community, but rather a group of people speaking to another group of people, and each of them have their own spheres of experience, their own spheres of influence, and seeing, you know, in this more interpersonal conversation where things could go from there. And, and why do you open that way? Why do you open at the personal level? Why... Why is it, why don't, like, I'm just trying to think, you know, 
theoretically, let's say you had somebody with a PhD in psychology who came and explained things. Why is it this method of one-to-one introducing so that people meet each other? Sure. Uh, it actually reminds me, you know, if we're going in the direction of psychology, it reminds me of a methods course that I taught uh, where we focused on how you're supposed to measure love. Okay, you can measure love through heartbeats. You can measure love through self-report. You can measure love through behavior. None of those things are love. You know, I could stand up and give you a theoretical conversation Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. a person's experience. And if I'm talking to other psychologists who need to know that theory, it's very Mm -hmm. useful. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking to, you know, a lot of times maybe educators who are really very focused on their class of students who are in front of them and a group of, you know, 30 individuals or so any given moment, certainly if we're talking to community members, where you have concerned parents, you know, what do my kids think about me? What about my kids' friends? What about my friend whose kid uh, came out of the closet? Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're not looking for a theoretical talk. You know, if they are, we're happy to provide it. But really, most of the time, when people are talking to us, uh, they really want to know the personal story. They want to know, okay, you know, I've seen what you've talked about in the headlines. I've seen what kind of the talking heads have opinions about you. But who are you really? And what's really going on? And that's something which can only be established when you have a real human connection. And you feel that's for educators in particular or really for anybody? Uh, Honestly, I think that really opens it up for everybody. Uh, Therapists also. uh, Therapists as well as educators. You know, when they ask for theoretical training, Mm -hmm. uh, we make sure that the personal story aspect is also included in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, you know, first of all, uh, it makes the content much more present, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of everybody coming in and having their own story about something that they heard here or there, we all went through the same experience. We all heard the same story. So we can talk about that story much more constructively. Uh, But in addition to that, you know, kind of like I said before, there's a big difference between hearing about something theoretically Mm -hmm. versus kind of, you know, vicariously experiencing it yourself. Um, A lot of times, teachers, parents, therapists less so because they get the training in school, religious teachers, it's starting to happen sometimes in partnership with us, sometimes through their friends. Uh, you know, a teenager comes out of the closet to them, uh, and all of a sudden you see their eyes glaze over, and they're thinking about mm-hmm. the headlines, and they're thinking about pictures from Tel Aviv Pride, and they're thinking about violence and conversion therapy and scary things. And they think, oh my goodness, you know, we're in an emergency situation here. We need to deal with this as an emergency. A crisis. But when you meet, yeah, exactly. And all of a sudden they go into. Crisis management, how do we shut it down? How do we control it? How do we make sure we all get out of this unscathed? Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's not what the conversation is. You know, once you meet, not just one, but two people, and hopefully even more, who can say, listen, you know, coming out of the closet within the religious community is a complicated process, but it's also an enriching one. And uh, I actually can tell you firsthand about a happy future that I'm experiencing all of a sudden, everybody is kind of allowed to breathe more and feel, you know, less like this is some kind of crisis emergency and more like, OK, you know, maybe this conversation will be a little dif- difficult, but it's one that I can know how to manage once I do it properly. You feel that over the past 10 years, it's changed that that setup that that the difficulty of it is still there, but it is different. Or I would say I would say every year something happens which we could have only dreamed of, mm. uh, and I'm not saying that hyperbolically. Uh, I remember, you know, once upon a time, getting anybody from within a religious establishment to acknowledge the fact that being gay 
you know, as an orientation is not sinful was considered something which was, you know, a pie in the sky kind of dream. By now, even the most right-wing rabbis are going to acknowledge that. And I don't think that that came from a real change in halachic discourse. I think that that came from, you know, speaking with people who said, you know, I'm not gay as an act of rebellion. I'm not gay as an act of laziness. I'm gay because, you know, God made me this way. And if you have a mm-hmm. problem with me, then, you know, go back to the artist that fashioned me. <laughs> so, Ben, do you feel comfortable? I mean, I realize this isn't an educator forum and there isn't a second person also. But can you tell us a little bit about your story? Uh, sure. You know, I would I would say the main bullet points about me that are worth knowing is that I'm originally from Teaneck, New Jersey, a graduate of Yavna Academy, Torah Academy, Yeshiva Kotel, Yeshiva University. Uh, I then made Aliyah and moved here to Israel uh, in order to study psychology, where I've been at the Hebrew University. Uh, and during my time here, I was also actually teaching at Hakotel. Uh, so in terms of my background, you know, I... What were you teaching? Uh, the first year, I was teaching uh, modern Orthodox philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, tracing it from uh, Rev Hirsch through Rev Soloveitchik and Rev Cook, uh, a little That's bit cool. of Heschel also. Yeah, it was fantastic. You know, it was, it was a real reading group. You know, we all mm-hmm. had to do the readings, come back together, talk about it, talk about where it's really relevant to the ways that we talk about things now. And then the other one was, uh, was a mix of different shirim, which uh, followed certain themes from Tanakh through the Gemara through uh, modern halacha. Uh, so let's say, you know, following um, the way that prophecy is talked about in the Tanakh through the way that the Shulchan Aruch was written, so to speak, uh, by divine, um, uh, uh, no, but there's a word, uh, so to speak, by divine inspiration, mm-hmm. right? And kind of talking about, okay, that is us talking about the same thing. How does it follow through the different lines? So that's, you know, what I was doing, especially, let's say, 23, 24, uh, by my very long days, I was studying clinical psychology, and by nights, uh, at least once a week, I was over in Yeshiva Kotel. Uh, all of that came to a head together when I came out of the closet as gay. Uh, and then, you know, the conversation became a little bit more complicated and a lot more difficult. Uh, you know, it was clear on all sides that I wasn't going to keep teaching at Hakotel. Uh, you know, nobody fired me, but it was also clear that, you know, I was more than welcome as an individual person, but I could no longer be representative. Uh, and I got to Did say, you that anticipate my, that? Yeah. Oh, I knew what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, uh, once I got to the point where, you know, I was dating men happily and, you know, moving forward and trying to build relationships in exactly the way that I was trained, uh, you know, I knew that there was a significant chance that at a certain point I would get engaged, you know, within mm-hmm. the next year or so, you know, nice classic religious dating. Uh, and I didn't want to put anybody into a situation where, you know, I'm posting my classic engagement pictures on Facebook and all of a sudden uh, the yeshiva is now catching flack mm-hmm. from their students, from uh, other people within the yeshiva, from general political whatever. You know, I didn't want to suffer through that and I didn't want to put them through that. That's the truth. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was a painful breakup from Akoto. Uh, I think it was something which was uh, very telling about the fact that kind of, you know, a lot of the shepherds, if we're being blunt, um, prefer to let sheep like me and other potential students of mine uh, kind of go a little bit more astray in order to be able to, you know, take care of the rest of the flock. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me personally, it was a real experience of saying, you know, once I come out of the closet, I'm no longer their core constituency anymore. I'm no longer considered someone who has a right to stand up, you know, and all of a sudden my Torah was worth less. 
Uh, so that was pretty hurtful. Um, I have since repaired uh, on an individual basis a relationship with a good number of the rabbis, mm-hmm. uh, both there and in general. And since then, I've gotten much more involved with Shoval. At your initiative, because that's something you wanted, or they reached out to you? Uh, I will say to their credit, the one who I have the closest relationship with, uh, it was about a year later, um, and uh, it was right after there was violence at Jerusalem Pride, there was you know, a stabbing mm-hmm. there that I was actually pretty close to, uh, and the rabbi actually got back in touch with me to say as soon as he heard about it, he was so worried and he wants to see if I'm okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of the things which is really important to that, and part of why you know I repeat this in my story, uh, is that you know the teacher-student uh, contract, so to speak, I really felt was broken, right? You know, I felt like a teacher's job is to teach me and lead me and care for me, and I felt like in that moment it really didn't happen. That but you on the were flip rejected? side, uh, explicitly, if yeah. we're being honest. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, you know, a kind of new contract was being built. Right, a this version of me with that version of my teacher, and it's mm. on the basis of a human connection and mutual caring for each other, uh, and that was already a place where we weren't just arguing over how we wish things would be, but really speaking much more productively about the way that things actually are. Can you can you say more? What do you, what do you mean by that difference? Um, I think that a lot of times, especially within uh, religious discourse. Um, the conversation can be very theoretical, very op-ed, very psak halacha. Uh, and those kinds of forums, you know, are obviously important and central to, you know, the communities that we live in. Uh, but on the flip side, there's a real human cost there. Because ultimately we're talking about people. We're not talking about a theoretical halacha case in the Gemara. You know, we're not even talking about the version of someone that is posted on a Haaretz headline. Right. Right. We're talking and about communities of people. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of what the work that we in organizations like us do, and I think a lot of rabbinic organizations are really open to it and actively encouraging it, is to bring that conversation uh, to a way where it's more balanced. Right? Where we're not just talking about the halacha, we're not running away from it, but we're talking about the halacha within the context of real people and real lived experiences. Now, <clears throat> what brought you to this particular organization? Uh, so there, there's a few of them. Um, there is, there's organizations such as uh, within Israel, it's called uh, Choshen and Iggy. Uh, uh, Choshen works a lot within uh, secular education, mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus training. Uh, Iggy does a lot of great uh, work with youth. Um, I live in Jerusalem, so there's also a Jerusalem Open House, which really has a lot of different resources. Also within the religious community, uh, there is organizations such as uh, Batkol, which is for uh, queer religious women, Chavruta, mm-hmm. which is for queer religious men. Uh, and there's also uh, Kirtzono, which is for uh, queer trans people. So, of course, the trans people are welcome with the women's group and the men's group, but if they want a specifically uh, trans um, experience, uh, then they also have that additional organization which they could be a part of. And mm-hmm. all of those are really great, and they all do really great work within their own areas. Uh, for me personally... And Cheval is associated with those organizations. Oh, no? yeah. We're, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there is something really great about uh, most of these uh, LGBT plus movements as well as religious movements. We've all learned that, you know, the synergy effect is really right. there. 
uh, that all, you know, all of us working together and sharing our resources and sharing our expertise is much better than any of us working alone. Um, mm -hmm. What brought me to Choval in particular is that it happens to be that um, its emphasis is more professional. Uh, and I just find that that's kind of where my voice expresses itself the best. Well, what uh, does that know, mean? I, what, do you mean? what do you mean it's more I, professional? I grew up in B'nai Kiva. I grew up, a, you know, I became a teacher. I'm a working psychologist. You know, when I talk about these kinds of issues, uh, I naturally think about, okay, what are the professional ramifications for them? So within Choval, because we're giving, you know, professional trainings and we're actively training people uh, to become trained dialogue facilitators, uh, you know, it's more than there is common community work for sure. But then there's also the professional angle, which we uniquely offer. Uh, it's, a, and, it's a professional organization is what you're saying. The organization itself is a profession organization. Yeah. Yeah. And, and every change and every decision that we make uh you know, some of it has to do with the greater queer movement in Israel. More of it has to do with our opinion as an educational institution, because that's really what we're for. Right. Right? We're there to provide training in an area where many, most uh, institutions in general, especially religious institutions, uh, are lacking. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, I'm assuming that, that the organizations you work with, because they're, they're already open to working with you, because they've invited you, so you you don't get a lot of I would I would hope and I would expect that you don't get a lot of negative interactions. In other words, you've, you you your your speaker goes to speak to X professional or X group of professionals, and I assume that that's basically usually a positive interaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, you know, we are purposely apolitical mm -hmm. uh, and even a halachic. So we're not mm -hmm. anti-halakha, but we make clear that, you know, our volunteers represent a range of political opinions, a range of uh, halakhic opinions and levels of observance. Uh, so kind of when people want to fight with us on those terms, we're more than happy to discuss it with them as individual people. But we as an organization, uh, you know, again, we're educational. So, right. you know, we're not there for the activism in one direction or another. It's not a bad thing. It's just not what we're working on. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't want this question to come off as crass, but do you market to recruit organizations to meet with you, or do you wait for them to come? In other words, if somebody's already open enough to invite you, then mm -hmm, that means mm -hmm. you're working with somebody who who wants to learn. But right. is it possible I, I would within? Say, uh -huh. I would say over the course of Cheval's history, uh, even just within the past ten years, our relationship with the uh, general Dati community has changed. Cheval mm -hmm. started really is a chesed project just to let people know that people like us exist at all. Right. Uh, you know, we were barely able to break into anyone within the Orthodox market. We were starting with more, you know, lowercase c conservative, capital C conservative mm -hmm. uh, institutions. Right. right. And we would kind of start there. And the more to the right that we could work, you know, we would try. But people didn't want to hear us either because, you know, they didn't think that we exist or they acknowledged that we exist. But, you know, none of their students are like that, so it's not really so relevant for them. As time went on, and people realized that this was, you know, something which Reality? Exists, yeah. That this reality exists and that there was yeah. a real issue, uh, specifically that the issue was that they were not trained, right? We weren't the issue, they were the issue. Mm -hmm. uh, people started realizing, okay, you know, what organizations exist, who can we reach out to, how do we work with them? 
And then at that point, we were already able to reach out to different Orthodox organizations and institutions uh, and start working with them. Uh, now, we're at the point where I would say half to more than half of our uh, sessions are already places we're being invited to. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say, you know, a very large share is still kind of us being put in contact with them and trying to convince them uh, that uh -huh. this actually matters. Usually it will be uh, parents and alumni of these institutions uh -huh. who will be our main connection. But everybody, you know, no matter who they are, if they're Orthodox, even if they're interested in having us and they're actively inviting us, there's going to be an hours-long conversation with them to talk through their own misgivings about the political ramifications which they may have just by talking to us. Uh, so, you know, a lot, of times, huh. a lot of times they happen to be very nervous to, you know, kind of jump in and be willing to kind of be out of the closet over the fact that they're even being trained <laughs> in this area. Right. And it takes us to really talk to them and say, you're not the only one. We've worked with a lot of other places. Here's a list of other places that, you know, have recommendations mm. that they'd be happy to pass on. So even the places that actively invite us, uh, there still needs to be some work with them before mm. we even walk in. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, I just want to ask in terms of clarity, when you say the Orthodox community, because there's a lot of different Orthodox rights that one, what, where, what do you mean by that? Like by so, the Orthodox community? So thanks for asking that because uh, I think you're right that we could stand to be, you know, much more uh, specific here and precise with our language. First of all, when I, when I say Orthodox community, uh, I'm just translating in my head that T community. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio, of course. Right. Uh, but in general, It's hard in English who, because the, English, the Israeli English. term doesn't translate exactly to English. Yeah, it's not the religious community. It's not even the observant community. Uh, but, you know, people who define themselves by dati, the closest thing that I could say uh, is, you know, like any cultural shorthand, people who uh, grew up or were adjacent to any kind of, you know, knitted kippah uh, right. and, and to the right. Uh, but within that, I think there's also space to be more precise because, uh, you know, the same way that there is no single queer community, but rather a series of queer communities and many right. queer people who themselves are part of many different communities, sometimes at the same time, the same exact story uh, exists for Dati communities, right? 100%. Every community is different. Every community has mm -hmm. some politics and some concerns, uh, you know, even within the pure, you know, we're the same quote unquote kind of Dati every community is going to have its own story. And, right. and sometimes multiple ones going on at the same time. And I think that's the kind of place where cultural competence and, you know, Davka having people who come from those communities return to them uh, is absolutely critical. Because it kind of calms people down from an us versus them mode. It allows right. us all to slip into an us with us mode. And it's a very right. different kind of conversation. So, uh, so, so basically, just uh, we really be talking about kind of the modern Orthodox national religious those types of communities. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I would the, say, I would say our core, our core is going to be you know places like the Gush, places like Modi'in, right. uh, and so on and so forth. You know, from north to south. Uh, but as has been going on, um, there have been more and more uh, Hardal institutions. Huh. Uh, which have been reaching out to us, in, uh, as well which as... Which is the national religious, but more to the right. It's hard to explain to right, that yeah. in English. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, to, to be uh, blunt... I think, I think we, in America, we'd call them more like central, you know, yeshivish central 
Orthodox as opposed to the Yeshivish, Orthodox. Yeshivish, yeah. I, I would be, I'd be I careful even, about drawing yeah. that parallel. The main difference, yeah. and this is one which we feel especially sharply, yeah. uh, is that the Chardal communities uh, tend to be extremely political. Okay, so yeah. let's say when there will be political yeah. parties which are explicitly running on homophobia, yeah. uh, such as Chazon, they have Shoval uh, in their advertisements. It's saying they're explicitly running against us. So that's uh-huh. a place where there's a real difference. Wow. Uh, because we are, wow. mo- you know, yeah. you may call it we are moving into the lion's den. But really what's happening is that we're moving into communities that have, you know, a fringe, very vocal minority who are outright against us. Right. But then another minority, which is slowly growing, which is actively inviting us in. Uh, oh, wow. So I so I think that's something that's which really points to, you know, the complexity, exactly like what we were talking about before, of, yeah. you know, we can use a shorthand of the Hardal community, but it's really Hardal communities, and different ones have different approaches to this. Right. right. I bet you that that's in like an unintended relevance in the cultural discussion, where suddenly your organization plays such an important role, even in like actual who's voting for whom. Like that, that I would not have anticipated that sort of relevance. Yeah, and you know. From my perspective, it really emphasizes the difference between who you are and who you could be presented to be as. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, to me, it was already genuinely laughable that they would take our smiley, happy, bright blue logo, put <laughs> ominous music behind us, and now, you know, we're the big bad guys. You know, the one, one of the commercials said, you know, organizations such as Hoshin, Shoval, da-da-da, they want to tell you that, you know, your daughters are really your sons. But the thing is, that's literally true occasionally <laughs> so it actually <laughs> is a fair representation of the work that we do uh, so you know you could say exactly what we're doing uh, but once you put ominous music over it now it's scary and and it's well it's it's not you it's there sometimes it's people's daughters and sons telling them that you know what I mean like it's not it, you're just you're just creating a conversation about that you're not the one telling their parents anything it's the reality of this is the yeah. conversations they're having anyway in, in their families. Yeah, there, there's a real shift um, in our discourse for the better in terms of uh, whose problem is it that people mm-hmm. like us exist. Right? It used to be very much so that we were the problem. Mm-hmm. Right? That you know, a discourse of um, you know, we are the rebellious sodomites, we are the people who don't care enough about the traditional family unit and therefore we're kind of attacking it and breaking it down. Uh, but as time uh, has moved on, and more importantly, as more people have told their story, uh, we've been able to point out that it's really the exact opposite, right? I don't want to get married and start a family because I'm against the traditional family unit. I'm doing it because I learned to be in favor of the traditional family unit, and I'm just doing it uh, in the best way that I can. Mm-hmm. And so we get into a situation where, you know, teachers are starting to realize uh, we you know, their queer students are not the problem. Uh, But the problem is that they're not trained for how to best serve us and teach in a way which is the most relevant to us. And for the most part, I've found that that's usually what the conversations are that we're having these days. Do you have a story? Oh, go ahead, Alan. I was just kind of wondering about your religious identity, how you how you define yourself, if you, you know, if you want to share that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not anymore, you know, I'm in Hebrew, Datlash now, you know, I guess in English they call it off the derech. Uh, you know, that's, that's where I'm at now. Uh, we'll see where it changes, but 
you know, that, that's where it ended up for me. Do you, do you have a specific either that you encountered or that one of the, a different spokesman encountered? Like, an, like a sort of an example of where, I don't know, I don't know if it's like in a Fala Simon moment, like a, like a, where, where you see how an educator gets it or a moment of impact where your educational message you saw bore fruit? Sure, sure. Um, you know, my mind always goes back to one teacher. Um, she didn't even know that I was involved with the Shabbat. She was just a friend that I was at a Shabbat meal with. Uh, told me about this wonderful training that she received. I knew what she was talking about. Hmm. Uh, she taught um, at a religious ulpana, which is a girls' high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, ulpanot in Israel are pretty conservative. Uh, and she felt that, you know, after that, and realizing that she really does have students like that, she kind of grappled with her, you know, what's my place in all of this? And she, may, and she now makes sure that uh, twice a year she just mentions in passing in her classroom uh, sometimes girls also have girlfriends mm-hmm. and you know that's that's her motion to change uh, and I think that that's actually subtle but very powerful and I think that's really you know one of the best metrics of change right? what a makes lot it time, powerful so a lot of times people expect you know a big story and a big statement you know the principal stood up in school and now they're overhauling their training program and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and they have, you know, they've had one session with us and now we go back every year and, you know, about a third of the time we're already speaking with students. Uh, mm-hmm. So those kinds of real changes happen. Uh, but the small incremental changes are also so important because this is a woman who is teaching in a very conservative environment, mm-hmm. right? And she has students who twice a year know that she acknowledges people like that. And she is now giving the opening for those students, if they want to talk to her one-on-one, they can. And that's, I think, a lot of what, you know, we do, right? We don't come in and we don't tell people, here's how you overhaul everything that you're doing. But we do say, okay, you know, here are your values. But on the other hand, here's reality. So how are you going to make the mesh? Well, in a sense, that's in some ways maybe even better expressed, not in an assembly where everyone gets together and we're going to talk about the obvious truth, but just you're saying, like, her just mentioning it in passing as just part of this is reality, you know, it just fits into the fabric of things without being called out as something. And I would think with this younger generation, even in even in uh, more conservative communities, I would think in this younger generation that the 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 ex- the the normalcy of this reality is much yeah. more present than it is for the educators, for the older, yeah. you know. I mean, the, the discourse is changing at, you know, a lightning pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once upon a time, the real warning that we gave to, let's say, you know, mainstream Dati Orthodox institutions is um, you need to acknowledge to your kids and young adults that they have a future, that mm-hmm. people like them can exist. Because people who don't believe that they have a future get desperate, and desperate people could do desperate things. Uh, It's a real sense of danger. While that is true, especially as you move further to the right, uh, where, you know, while there are queer Haredim and queer Hardalim and all of that, uh, they're, you know, not necessarily as covered in the media as queer Datim are. They're queer, Mm -hmm. again, more mainstream Orthodox. But now they have a new problem, which is a problem of relevance. That you know, we're kind of, uh, through our stories and blunt conversations with teachers, letting them know that, you know, they're no longer in danger of harming their students necessarily, 
but they are in grave danger of being irrelevant to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that if they're teaching things which have kind of, uh, you know, assumptions or even explicit messages which don't line up with the fact that they're, you know, they have a trans cousin, they have a lesbian best friend, then they're thinking, okay, you know, this teacher is teaching to a world that if it exists, it's not mine. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different kind of, kind of danger uh, that the teachers are in. That the generation gap can become so profound that they'll lose any ability to educate, at least yeah. deeply and meaningfully, yeah. Again, you know, we, people expect us to come in with, you know, all this fear and intimidation of the secular left and we're changing who you are and things like hmm. that. Uh, you know, they come in expecting a fight. And we're willing to put difficult things on the table and we're also willing to, we're expecting to hear difficult things in return. That's what productive mm-hmm. dialogue is going to be. But we really think it's important that, you know, teachers and therapists and even parents understand this isn't a negative conversation where you have to learn something that, you know, goes against your moral judgment or anything like that. This is an opportunity to update yourself and understand where the younger growing generation is coming from. You know, what you do with that information is going to be up to you and your values, but at least understand the words that they're using, the assumptions that they have, the implications of the way that you're speaking to them that maybe you wouldn't hear it if it's said to you. So I have a weird question. As a professional who teaches about Israel all the time and Israel issues, there are weeks where I just like, I don't want to read a newspaper. I don't want to think about Israel. I just want to change this subject. Do you sometimes get tired of talking about these issues? Like, do you need a week off now and then like I do? Uh, yeah, I, w- I will say one <laughs> of the reasons why um, I stepped down from being on the board and stepped into the more just pure professional training uh, was because I cannot tell you how exhausting it is it's exhausting. to give a response to every homophobic thing that any rabbi anywhere wow. has said. Wow. It's constant. It's the water that we swim in. We all know it. But once it's my job to respond to every one of them, now all of a sudden, you know, I have to sit and comment about this mean epithet and that mean epithet. And, you know, to be blunt, it's not only insulting, it really says negative things about the people who say it themselves. You of know, course. If, if you negatively call people, if you negatively call gay people sick, what does that mean about the way that you think about sick people? You know, mm. it's just nothing about it leaves a good taste in your mouth. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I do see it as, as a similar... In other words, when you're teaching about Israel all the time and you're constantly addressing this controversy or that controversy... You know, this person, this this ignorant person said something stupid about this topic and students ask about it. It is. It's just it's exhausting. Yeah. And, and, and again, you, just you know, even, teach. Yeah. yeah, exactly. First of all, I just mostly want to be here to give over what I'm saying. But again, I think it says it often unleashes a lot of uglier things. Yeah. Right. Because, again, you know, you call me disabled like an insult. I don't mind being called disabled because I don't think it's an insult. But if right. you're calling me that as an insult, I don't like being insulted, and I don't like what you're saying about disabled people. Right. You know, it, it ends up compounding on itself. Right. Do you think there's something that we're missing in this interview, a question I didn't ask you, or information that you think it would be useful for our listeners to... Uh, sure, you know, I guess, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll just plug ourselves. Anybody that's interested in reaching yeah. out to us, uh, you can go to chauvalgroup.org. So that's S-H-O-V-A-L. G-R-O-U-P dot org. Uh, you could also find us on Facebook as well. Uh, right now, our website is in Hebrew, so if you need a little bit of extra effort or the help of Google Translate, you'll have to use it. Uh, but you could expect that within the next half a year or so, 
uh, we're already going to be translating it to English. So, you know, mm-hmm. be in touch, reach out to us. We're more than happy to hear from you. Yeah, well, I mean, it really does focus primarily on in Israeli institutions. That's why. Why are you doing an English page? Uh, for two reasons. First of all, just if we already have the content, why not put it out there? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many wonderful local organizations such as uh, Eshel and JQY and Eshel UK who are already working abroad. Uh, you know, the kind of cross-pollination which really helps us within the Hebrew discourse uh-huh. want to bring it over to the English discourse. Uh, but the other reason, which is pretty specific but very real, um, we're starting to reach out and work with more and more gap year programs here in Israel. Uh-huh. Uh, and the reason for that... Yeah, you know, the reason for that being that they're kind of falling in between uh, the two yep. different worlds. You know, of course, American and British organizations and Australian organizations would love to work with gap year programs, but they're not here. And the mm-hmm. flip side, most of the Israeli organizations, uh, you know, the gap year velt isn't part of how they grew up. Uh, so recently, yeah. yeah. So recently we've been purposely uh, recruiting more olim who themselves went through the gap year process in order to be able to better cater to, uh, you know, that, um, uh, what's the word? In order to be able to better, um, yeah, in, in order to be able to better work with that demographic as well. Mm-hmm. All right, well, hopefully this could be helpful for that because that's our, you know, as you know, that's our primary audience is our gap year students who who have uh, finished our course. I mean, some of, actually, some of them taking the course do listen to this. I sometimes get told in class, oh, I like that episode or I have a question. But, but usually it's really more... But it's summer alumni. break now, so it would be, anybody would be alumni. Well, right. it's, also, it's also Corona time, so I don't, yeah. even, I don't even know what an alumni... I don't know, every, there is no beginning, middle, or end anymore. Everything is just like this continuum of oddness. I am still in shock it's July. In my head, it's May. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Time I'm itself. Floored. I'm still back yeah. in March. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you are you are working to do some of your stuff online to deal with the to to switch over modes also to in the Corona sure. world. I mean, yeah. look, you know, you could you could follow us on pe- on uh, on Facebook. Uh, we, along with the other uh, religious LGBTQ plus organizations, uh, every year run a program called Pesach Sheni. Um, you know, it's done uh, during the week of Pesach Sheni itself uh, as kind of a holiday for people who don't fit into the standard system. Uh, gotcha. And there are now tons of That's online conversations. Topic. Yeah, it's been that also has been going on for more than a decade, and it's really a special way to reconnect, um, you know, and show that we too have a place uh, within our heritage. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are now tons of conversations about all sorts of topics, which are there: conversations with rabbis, conversations with people who got religiously same-sex married, uh, conversations with people who adopted. Any conversation which you think is relevant, we now have on our uh, Facebook. Mm. Or links to other organizations that do. Well, people can check that out. Ben, we're running out of time, so let me just thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Nice to meet you. pleasure, Alan. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.